Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. If we were to compress Earth's 4.6 billion years of history into one single, ordinary day, the first primitive signs of life would emerge at about 4 o'clock in the morning. Single-celled organisms appeared early but it was not until half-past eight that large quantities of microbes started to grow. The first batch of sea plants would come into being soon after and 20 minutes later, the first ever school of jellyfish would be born. At about 9.04 at night, the ancient trilobites and other creatures arrived, triggering what is known among biologists as the Cambrian Explosion, a great outburst of life in the Cambrian period. Close to 10 at night, the Earth saw its very first signs of vegetation and its first batch of terrestrial animals. At 10.24, the great forests of the Carboniferous period started covering the entire surface of the Earth, and the first winged insects began dancing in the air. The dinosaurs came just past 11 at night, and later dominated the Earth. Then, they would suddenly vanish in 21 minutes, and the era of the mammals would begin. Humans would not enter the scene until just 1 minute and 17 seconds to midnight, and all of the documented history of mankind would in fact only span a few seconds long in this countdown. In this one day of the Earth's lifespan, its continents would keep shifting and colliding with one another. This would continuously cause mountains, rivers and oceans to transform drastically and glacial fields to keep drifting. On average, a meteorite would collide into the Earth three times every minute, yet life would still continue. And relative to the scale of development of the entire universe itself, this compressed history of the Earth could just be an ordinary day. We are all living in a universe that we may not quite understand yet. In the process of attempting to solve the puzzle that lies at the heart of this universe, scientists have resigned themselves to the idea that our cosmos carries so many mysteries that it is impossible to fully explain it. Each time science successfully finds the key to one of the locked boxes, there would always be another one within that box. However, it is precisely these unsolved mysteries that propel the development of science and mankind. This is what the author Bill Bryson shines a light on in his book A Short History of Nearly Everything. He discusses the process of people unraveling the mysteries of the universe, the earth and life itself. Now, let us process the key contents of this book through three separate parts. Part 1, The Mystery of the Universe. Part 2, The History of the Earth. Part 3, The Miracle of Life. Part 1, The Mystery of the Universe. The prevailing argument in the scientific world is that our universe was formed 13.7 billion years ago out of a singularity that was infinitely small in mass and infinitely large in density, following the instantaneous event of the Big Bang. The volume of this singularity might have been so small that it could only be visible under a microscope. Yet, it was dense enough to account for all matter in the entire universe put together. Such a structure is very difficult to imagine. To better understand it, let's refer to the structure of an atom. The atom is one of the basic particles of the universe. The physicist Richard Feynman once said that if we were to reduce all of scientific history into a single statement, that statement would be, all things are made of atoms. Even though the atom is not the smallest particle in the universe, it is still infinitesimal, being 10 millionth of a millimeter in size. For instance, if we were to try and view an atom of a drop of water with our naked eye, we would need to magnify this drop of water till it is 24 kilometers in diameter. 
The mass of an atom is practically concentrated within its nucleus, and although the atomic nucleus is even smaller than the atom occupying only one quadrillionth of its capacity, it is incredibly dense. If we were to enlarge the atom until it becomes as big as a church, the size of its nucleus would, relatively speaking, only be equivalent to that of a small fly. Yet this tiny fly would weigh practically the same as the entire church itself. With these features, an atomic nucleus can produce boundless and massive power during the process of nuclear fission. It is a power we can imagine just by recalling the devastation caused by atomic bombs during the Second World War. Now that we have understood the size and density of atoms, and how powerful an atomic reaction is, you may have a better grasp of the concept of singularity and the Big Bang. Nevertheless, some may visualize the singularity as an entity hanging in a dark void, pregnant with life, this is a misconception. This is because, before the Big Bang, there was no such thing as space or time or even darkness. There was no space for it to hang there. We are as yet unable to understand just how long this singularity has existed, all we know is that in a split second, the Big Bang happened and our universe began. Within the first second, gravity as well as other forces of physics were created. The universe started to expand rapidly, and before the first minute, its diameter had already reached a span of 1,600 trillion kilometers, with temperatures higher than 10 billion degrees Celsius. This was enough to trigger the process of nuclear fission, which in turn created some lighter elements such as hydrogen, helium and lithium. After three minutes, 98% of the matter that currently exists, as well as elements that would eventually form matter, came into being. An infinitely wonderful universe was born. We know all of this thanks to the particle physicist Alan Guff, who in 1979, first came up with the inflation theory that is related to the Big Bang. He first pointed out that, immediately after the Big Bang, the universe must have experienced a sudden and rapid expansion. The prerequisites of our universe's existence are impressive. The force of gravity that emerged just within the first second was neither too overwhelming nor too weak, so the speed of the universe's expansion was just right for maintaining the stability of its matter. Hence, the universe did not collapse under the sheer force of gravity, neither did it fail to coalesce due to being too weak. Under the effects of pulsation and spinning, matter transformed into clumps, stars and galaxies, and all that we understand about the universe today became possible. Everything may seem perfect, yet it feels like there is something missing. The Big Bang created lighter elements, but how heavy elements appeared. For example, the carbon necessary for creating carbon-based organisms, as well as the oxygen that is necessary for us to breathe. Where did they come from? In 1931, astrophysicist Fritz Zwicky and his colleague Walter Botta created the concept of the supernova. When a huge star, much heavier than the sun, collapses on itself, it releases an energy that is comparable to that of a hundred billion suns, and the ensuing dramatic explosion would create a light that is more potent than the combined power of all the stars in its galaxy. Such an explosion is called supernova. In 1957, cosmologist Fred Hoyle added on to this theory, saying that the supernova also released a thermal energy that could reach over 100 million degrees Celsius. This process of nuclear fusion was sufficient to create the heavy elements needed to sustain life. With the evolution of the universe, such elements would turn into new galaxies, such as the solar system. These were the conditions necessary for the formation of the Earth, the Moon, as well as life itself. About 4.6 billion years ago, the solar system emerged in a gigantic vortex that floated along the Milky Way. 
This vortex, which was made of gas and dust, spanned about 24 billion kilometers in diameter. About 99.9% .9 of its matter eventually coalesced to form the Sun. The remaining floating debris was held together by electrostatic forces and formed increasingly large clumps. These clumps incessantly collided with one another and disintegrated, before merging once more. Finally, some of these lumps started to form their own orbits, thereby becoming planets. And so, over the course of about 200 million years, the Earth was formed. However, its atmosphere was initially scorching hot, and it was continuously hit by debris floating around it. About 4.5 billion years ago, an object that was about as large as Mars hit the Earth. As a result, some material that was blasted off the Earth coalesced to form the Moon. What's more, at the beginning, the atmosphere of the Earth was largely composed up of carbon dioxide, nitrogen, and other poisonous matter such as methane and sulfur. However, at that time, the Sun was no longer as hot as it had been when it was first created. Thanks to the greenhouse effect caused by carbon dioxide, the Earth could keep the heat sent over by the Sun and did not become a frozen planet. It was precisely because the temperatures were just right, that water gradually formed on Earth after multiple impacts to its surface from comets, meteorites and other space debris. Within 500 million years, the Earth had accumulated reserves of this precious element necessary to sustain life, which paved the way for it to welcome the origins of human existence. We are all residents of the solar system. Yet, to this day we are still unsure of just how many planets exist inside it. The current opinion is that the solar system comprises four rocky inner planets namely Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars, as well as four gassy outer planets namely Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Apart from these eight planets, there is Pluto, considered a dwarf planet, and dozens of satellites that were discovered in succession, not to mention other comets and small celestial bodies. Imagine now that we are going to explore the solar system ourselves. If we wanted to take a trip around it, how long would it take us to see all its highlights? Say we pick the most straightforward route, and fly directly from the Earth to the planet that lies at the periphery of the solar system, Pluto. Pluto lies in a zone of debris within the Milky Way, about over 6 billion kilometers from the Earth. Even if we were to travel at the speed of light and covered 300,000 kilometers every second, we would still need up to 7 hours to complete the trip. Of course, we can only rely on spaceships for this, since these machines travel at a speed of roughly 56,000 kilometers per hour. This means that, in reality, we would need 10 to 12 years to reach Pluto's orbit. After arriving at Pluto, which has a temperature of over minus 200 degrees, the Sun would be so far away that it would look no bigger than the tip of a needle. However, we would have only covered a fifth of our journey through the solar system. The next part of the voyage would be even longer and more tedious, and we would first have to spend 10,000 years just flying from Pluto to the Oort cloud. Then, the next step would be traversing the Oort cloud which stretches into the cosmos for about two light years, before finally arriving at the periphery of the solar system. After going through all this hardship, we would finally arrive at the periphery of the solar system. What would the rest of the journey be like? First, you would see the Proxima Centauri, which, at a distance of 4.3 light-years away, is the closest neighbor of our solar system. Our spaceships would need to travel for at least 86,000 years in order to reach it. If we continued to fly straight ahead for another 4.6 light-years, we would reach our next landmark, Sirius. As our journey so far has demonstrated, in our boundless universe, stars are all far away with each other. 
The average distance between them exceeds 300,000 kilometers. Based on the laws of probability, scientists have estimated that the Milky Way to contain millions of civilizations, so the distance between two of these societies would be at least 200 light-years on average. Therefore, even if we can really take a spontaneous trip through the galaxy, the trip would be an incredibly lonely one. On this note, we have come to the end of the first part. We have talked about the origins of the universe and the solar system, the conditions which enabled the formation of the Earth, the Moon and the human life. We have also experienced the vastness of the universe by taking an imaginary journey through the solar system. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.